it's amazing how hurtful we can be in relationships even when we think we're just being silly. It's amazing how broke down relationships can be just simply because we don't have the tools. So it is our goal in this series to tool each other, to get stronger, and to build that life that God intended us to have through beautiful relationships. And so we're really going to be going through this book, The DNA of Relationships, by Dr. Gary Smiley. Some of you, have you ever heard of the love languages? Have anybody ever heard like the love language? Dr. Smiley was the one who presented that to us years ago. Well, about 15 years ago, I came into contact with this book, this material, and it changed my life. Changed my life. Completely changed the way I think. Much of what is um, what I believed and how I believed to do things, much of my bad habits were just, they were, they were you know, inherited probably. They were they're just what I knew. They were formulated in my own way of doing things. And this, literally, these teachings have transformed my life. And I thought, if nothing else in this series, let's go through um, some of these truths together. So I'm stealing about half of everything in the book. So I highly encourage you to go buy this book, purchase this book, The DNA of Relationships. If you went through this book on your own or with some friends or in your small group during the month of February, I promise you, you will not look back on 2022 and the month of February and say, oh, that wasn't that good. You would say, it changed my life just like it changed your pastor's life. So isn't that good? Say yes. So with that being said, let's jump into the scriptures today. We're going to go straight to the book of Genesis. If you'll go ahead and open your Bible, we're going to look at the beginning of relationships in the book of Genesis. We're going to look at the very beginning, what God established, how he established an engagement with Adam and Eve and their God, and what that all looked like, and what came from it. So in Genesis chapter 2, we'll just pick up in verse 15. And this is after God has created all of the things on the earth, and he's created human, or humanity, or Adam, if you will. In verse 15, and the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Verse 18, then the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a help, helper suitable for him. By the way, you never make someone weaker to help somebody. Just want to point that out. I will make for him a helper suitable for him. That's why I always believe women are a lot stronger than us. You don't believe it? Go in the birthing room just for about five minutes. I'll be like, I'm out. I'm out. No, sir. Verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the beasts of the field and all of the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. From the very beginning, God gave us reasons and he gave us purpose and he gave us, and he gave us um, authority over the birds of the airs and the animals of the fields. Got great, I got great stories by the, about that, by the way. Anyway, that's for another time. All right, and every living creature, its name, verse 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. So your great, 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 granddaddy called him a crocodile, okay? So that was your family did that, named all the animals. Verse 21, so the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. Careful, fellas. And while he was sleeping... He took one of man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. I'm going to go off on a little theological uh, uh, rant for a second. Uh, many scholars believe that the original um, Aramaic in this um, is not actually a rib, but that it, it represents that he took half of Adam, half of Adam's being. And, uh, and there is even many who believe including me, that in man, what the original man was both what, what God, what God, God's nature was in him, and God took half of Adam out and created Eve, if you will. So the Lord caused a man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed, it, uh, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the next few verses is all about, whoa, wow, one man, wow, woo, all right. Dropping down to chapter 3 then, when we drop down to chapter 3, we see the serpent coming into the garden and having this engagement with Adam and Eve. Uh, most people think Eve is just standing there by herself and Adam is out naming animals, but that's not the case. They're both standing there together. And the, and the serpent begins to challenge God. He begins to say, now did... 
not God say that you could eat of all the fruits of the, of the forest, of the garden? They said, well, no, no, he told us we couldn't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, why did he say that to you? One of the things you've got to understand about deceptive people and the spirit of deception, what they'll do is always challenge authority's motives. Always challenge, not actions, always challenge motives. And assign wicked motives. So Satan says, through the serpent, obviously, says to them, well, doesn't God, the reason why God doesn't want you to eat of it is because then you'll be like him. God, who loves you so much and created you and gave you life and put you in paradise. Guys, do you understand what the garden was like? These jokers were walking around naked. Have you tried to walk through the woods of Texas naked? There are no cockaburs, no splinters. Come on now, there's no thorns. It's beautiful. I mean, it is paradise. God has created it just for them. And the enemy begins to challenge God's motives and says, well, really and truly, the reason why he doesn't want you to eat of this is because you'll be like him. They're in paradise. They're in perfection. And so Adam and Eve, as you and, you and I know, they take of the tree and they eat of it, of their own free will. He doesn't force them. Satan doesn't grab their hand. I can't do it. I can't stop it. Man, Satan. No. Of their own free will, they grab it. They take of it. Because of their desire, their desire to have something that they were told they shouldn't have because the enemy has told them that God's motives were wrong and you can take it back if you do it in your own strength. So they eat of the tree. The moment they do, chapter three tells us that they immediately are aware of their nakedness. In other words, shame immediately takes them on. Some of you come to church on Sundays with us and in small group life, and you can just see you're carrying the shame. You have an understanding of your sinfulness, and it's the shame that you carry. And continuing on, it says, and once they realized that they were shamed for their sin, and their nakedness is kind of the imagery of why they can understand, or how they're understanding their shame, that they go and they hide from God. And then, as God always did, can you imagine having the opportunity, if Adam and Eve wouldn't have messed this thing up, that we would walk with God in the coolness of the day? Can you imagine, instead of, you know, you and I praying and reading his word, he would just speak to us. He's standing there with us all day long, in and out of our daily engagement. Thank God for the Holy Spirit, who's the same in that, but nonetheless, the physical engagement with God was probably almost unbelievable to even articulate. And it says in verse 10 of chapter 3, God comes looking for them, and he calls out to them, where are you? In verse 10, Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Verse 11, and he said, I love God, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And Adam said, yes, sir. I take responsibility for my stupid action. And I beg and plead for you to have mercy on me and my wife. That's not at all what happened. The other people laughing because they read the Bible once before. So that's how they know. It says, the man said, the woman that you put here with me. It was good when it was just you and me, dude. And then you messed up. You put her here and she's the problem. And still men today won't take responsibility for their own actions. So she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate of it. Just something to pay attention to. As we dive into the next couple of moments, I want to point out using this passage of Scripture, kind of what, what Dr. Smiley calls the DNA code. The DNA code of relationships. What, how, how, they're, how we're really made. How, what's in our DNA. So number one, start with number one. Write this down. It'll change your life forever. Number one, you are made for relationship. You are made for it. God himself created everything and at the end of every day of creation go back and read it after the first day you looked at it and said it is good after the second day it is good third day it is good fourth day five sixth day the only thing god created and then stopped and said wait a minute it's not good it's not good that man should be alone god himself recognized wait a minute 
in Adam is the fullness of humanity. It's not good that he should be alone. I will make for him someone to have relationship with. You were made for relationship. Whether you like it or not, whether you think that you're that dude who can sit, you know, on the front porch by himself for the rest of his life, you will be incomplete because God made you to have relationship. You are made to be in relationship. So you might as well embrace it now and let's start figuring out how to get better at it. You were made to be in relationships. God himself exists in relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are one. They, 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 never, they never compete with each other. The Holy Spirit never competes with God the Father. God the Son never competes with God the Father. They are one. In fact, Jesus is one of his last prayers. was like, Father, I've done what you told me to do. I've completed the task. I brought all of these 12 disciples and every one of them are ready to go to accomplish your will except for the one, the son of perdition, which was already prophesied that he wouldn't. I brought them all here and here's my prayer. Not that they would start orphanages, not that they would prophesy, not that they would move in gifts of healing, but they would be one even as you and I are one. That they would have right relationship with each other. Because if they get the relationship right, everything I've called them to do will be right. But if they get the relationship wrong, the relationship will break down all of the purposes of God. If you don't get relationship right, then you can't get purpose right. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. We were not made to be alone. Anybody ever watched that little TV series, Alone? Yes. Have you seen that? Yes. For you guys that have not seen it, it is the most worthless hour you could ever spend watching TV. I'm just telling you, the people who love it are weird. I can't watch, that's right, I can't watch the whole thing. I, I skip to the end. Every, I, I, love, I love that we get to, you know, pick and choose now instead of waiting for it to come out on Thursday nights. And the whole premise is, is they take these people who have pretty strong survival skills and they put them out in the wilderness of Alaska or somewhere where nothing but killer bears and vicious cold weather and the lack of ability to get food is out there and they, they leave them and they've got to build their own shelters. They've got to kill their own game. They've got to pick berries and not pick the wrong ones and kill themselves. And the whole time they set up their own little video cameras and follow themselves around like, I'm going to try to catch a fish today. Nothing again today. I mean, the whole, the whole series about them being alone. And can I tell you, with every, and, and they do this, they do this to try to win a half a million dollars. Whoever's the last one standing. They had a special where they made, them, they made it to where they could win a million. And the longest that they've been able to go is 100 days alone. And every one of their video feeds is this. I'm doing this for you, babe. <laughs> I'm doing this to change my family. You know, we ain't got no money. And I figured, why not starve out in the wilderness for a while? And maybe get a million dollars out of the whole deal. And the whole time. And any little thing that they make, I'm going to bring this to my kids. I'm doing this for my family to get us ahead in life. I'm going to die out here. And it's amazing to watch them have mental breakdowns. 20 days into it, 30 days into it. They start talking to the tree. <laughs> you remember that Tom Hanks movie with the, ball, with the beach ball? I mean, they start losing their minds. And the reason why is because we were never made to be alone. And the lie that the enemy has put in you is that, you, that literally you can't trust everybody else. Just me and my little family. Well, what happens when your family starts getting divided relationally? You need to become better at relationships. You were made not to be alone, but you were made to have relationships. In fact, Jesus, I'm reminded of that moment where he's in the garden. God the Father is starting to turn his face away from him. And Jesus is in the garden. He's got his 12 guys and he's like, or his 11 guys. And he says, listen, I need y'all to pray with me. One hour. Come on, can you stay with me and pray? I'm about to face the, the, all of humanity. All of history is coming to this one pivotal moment. And I don't want to falter in this moment. I need you guys. I need you. Okay, yeah. And they go in the garden and Jesus is asking them, look, just pray with me. Stay with me. And then you see his frustration as he begins to wake him up. Couldn't you tarry for one hour? Can you just pray with me for an hour? They didn't have the ability to be that for him. They didn't, have, they didn't have the strength to stand with him. But we see the need for Jesus himself to have his bros be there for him. See, we all need relationships. We were made to have relationships. We are wired to have relationships. And you and I have a longing to belong to someone, to be wanted by someone, to be cherished by others, to be valued by others. That's in our DNA. 
It's in our DNA. He said, I don't care what they think. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. I don't need nobody. Yes, you do. It's in your DNA to be valued by others, to be accepted by others, to be cared for and cherished by others. And to deny that only makes you dysfunctional and then ultimately toxic. And so what we have to learn to do is become good at relationships. And here's the second big truth that we can learn from this passage. Number one, we were made for relationships. It's not good for Adam to be alone. I've got to make for him a helpmate. All of us do not, do not exist by ourselves. We have to exist in relationship with others. Here's the second big truth from this passage, and that is you are made with the capacity to choose. You were made with the capacity to choose. There's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat it or not eat it. You can obey or not obey. The reason why this is critical is because some of you have bought into the lie. I have just, this is my lot in life. This is my lot. I was molested as a child and so forever I'm broken. No, you have the ability to choose life. You have the ability to choose a different direction for you and your children and your grandchildren. You do not have to be a bitter person. You do not have to be a victim. You have the ability to choose. He gave them the ability to choose. And yes, they made a bad choice in the garden. They chose sin. They chose rebellion. They chose that. And it created for them this whole line of destruction. And you and I are living in the bad choice of our great, 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 You get it, grandparents. We're living in their bad choice. But friend, you and I also... I've had parents and grandparents that have made good choices that have affected us. Some of you are only a Christian today because grandma was the one who came to Christ. And then she raised her children right. And your mom and daddy raised you right. And so you know the, the will of God. And you know the ways of God because you had a praying grandma. Come on, somebody who made choices. We have the capability. Thank you. We have the capability that we can choose. Choice determines your destiny. Write that down. Choice determines your destiny. Every choice you make. Man, I've been through three marriages. You made choices and created that destiny. No one forced you into that. God didn't force you down that path. Satan can't force you down a path. We have the ability and the capability to make choices. We have, you are made with the capacity to choose. Are you still there? Say yes. And say, can I just tell you something? By not making choices, you force change to be done to you. So I just, I, I just don't know what to do. I'm not going to deal. I don't want to deal with it. By not dealing with it, then you force change to deal with you. Because I'm going to change at some point. Or something's going to stay the course. If you're, if you're in a, I, I, we would always counsel battered women. You, you need to make a choice here. I just can't make a choice. I can't make a choice. By not making a choice, you are making a choice to continue in, the, in this toxic, horrific place. You have the ability to make a choice here. I just can't make it. Yes, you can. You have the ability to make a choice. Uh, the History Channel has this special thing they do, uh, Life After People, where they, where they hypothesize what, what would happen if people were no longer in this space. And uh, I'll never forget, they did one on, um, uh, in, in New York. Uh, what's the big park? Uh, Central Park. And they, and they hypothesized if humanity left right like it is right now, if we walked away, if we all went to Mars and left Central Park alone, it would, in, in a matter of years, be unrecognizable. Why? Because it's going to grow, and it's going to do what it's going to do. And it's going to be full of critters. Come on, somebody. All them rats in New York. Jesus, thank you, Lord. I'm living in Texas. Have you ever seen the footage late at night with the rats running down through all this? Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I can't stand rats. Them and snakes. They should die together. And so, and so, and so they hypothesized within a matter of just two years, you would not be able to walk through it. It wouldn't be recognizable. You wouldn't know where you're at. See, by not making choices, you are making choices. Things are overgrown in your life and are dead and dying because you have made a choice not to deal with it. You have the capacity to make choices. Here's the third truth that we can learn from this passage, and that is you are made to take responsibility for yourself. You're made to take responsibility for yourself. Adam played the blame game, and Eve did too. The woman that you gave to me created this problem. No, 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 sir. No, sir. 
No, sir, you were given authority over the wife. And when that devil started running his mouth, you should have grabbed him by the throat and said, what did you say about God? How dare you challenge? How dare you speak to my wife like that? I'm her protector. But he was passive in the moment that he should have been active which is still the sin on men today, is that we move into passivity instead of into our leadership role. So uh, when people tell me that woman's a Jezebel and she's just running the whole relationship, that's because he won't step up and be who he's supposed to be. So somebody's got to fill the space. And so you see a woman who's dominating a man, it's because he won't take his rightful role and lead. So well, when I lead, she runs me all over. That's why we're going to do this series to teach us how to be better at relationships. Come on, because she probably saw that pattern or she's seeing that as, a, as a, I don't have any other choice and so we got to get this done. And so you and I can grow in our relational strengths. You were made to take responsibility for yourself. God had given these guys in the garden. He gave them the tools to be successful. They had the power over everything. Everything in that garden they had authority over, including the serpent. And what they did was they gave their authority and their power over to the serpent. And as a result, the punishment that came because of their rebellion against God. And, and I believe the punishment was so severe because they did not take responsibility. I think if they would have said, God, I'm Jesus, Father, oh my goodness. I had a moment where I believed his lie that you didn't have my best interest in mind. And I started dreaming that you were keeping something back from me and I wanted it. And, and I, did, I was ungrateful for how beautiful everything that you've given me is. And I wanted more than I deserve and what I need. And I, that wickedness came inside of me. And I just want you to know I'm so sorry. And I don't want ever to have that again. I, I guarantee you God's decision on how to deal with humanity would have went a little different way. But because they wouldn't take responsibility, then guess what? Your choice now of death is now going to dominate your life. And, that, and you're going you're gonna to work and toil to feed your family. You're going to be in pain in childbirth. This demonic force that you gave into now will torment you and all of your children's 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 children. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. That thing that happened in the garden with the demonic force, with Satan empowering an animal and speaking to them, that demonic whole thing has been our, has been our torment ever since. The forces of evil tormenting us and manipulating and manipulating world powers and groups of people and individuals and, and lying to us and us believing that whole system has continued on and on and on where there's no peace, there's no joy in our lives because the wrestling with each other instead against the principality, the power of darkness that's actually been the one attacking us. Are you with me today? Say yes. And so in this process, as we begin to take responsibility for ourselves, we will start breaking patterns. And I'm believing that in the, I, I, I double dog dare you in the month of February to say, Lord, help me break some patterns. I double dog dare you. Here's what I dare you to do. I dare you to ask people around you that you trust, work with, do life with. I dare, I dare you to ask them, hey, what am I not good at relationally? I dare you to ask people that question. I dare you to ask your spouse, hey, what, what can, how can I improve relationally? Where do I miss it? He said, oh, I can't do that right. And we'll get into why you struggle to do that in this next piece. But you and I were made for relationships. We have the ability and the capacity to choose. And we also were made to take responsibility. So when you and I will break patterns, these bad patterns that we saw modeled in our parents, that we saw modeled at our first job, that we see modeled in the world around us, or the church that we came from, or the group of people we used to hang out with, we see those things modeled and now they're patterns in our life. And we've even created some new fresh patterns for our family that are detrimental. We have to break those and I promise you the starting point for breaking that in the month of February will you to say to those around there that you love and trust how can I be better relationally what what to point out to me what where where I'm not that good at because I am on a journey I'm on a journey to become the best relational person I can be are you with me today say yes oh you can do better nice are you with me say yes which brings us then to there are three uh, types of relationships that we were made for. I want you to write these down. Uh, you were made for three kinds of relationships. God himself put these into play. Three kinds of relationships. Number one, with others, with yourself, and with God. These are the three. With others, with yourself, and with God. 
I love how Dr. Smiley brings this out. In fact, he has a little imagery that I want to put on the screen for you. Do you have the little circle pieces? And so if you can see this, you can see how we are to engage. These are the three relationships that we were made for. You were made to have a relationship with others. You were made to have a relationship with God, even if you don't believe any. Even if you reject him and refuse him because you have the ability to choose. Even if you do that, you still have this hole in your soul because you were made to have a relationship with your creator. And then, most people don't like to talk about this, but you're also made to have a relationship with yourself, to understand yourself. To, you talk to yourself in the shower. You, you, so, so I want to teach you a little bit about that, but you've got to understand. So when your relationship with God's not going well, guess what it does? It affects your relationship with yourself and with others. When you have a, uh, when you have a toxicity within yourself about yourself, it affects your relationship with God and your relationship with others because they overlap, they work together. And if you can get this in your mind and your heart, then you can start focusing on the relationships that really matter and put aside all the stuff that doesn't matter. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. So let's start with others. You were born into a relationship the moment that you came on this planet, you were born into a relationship. Whether you like it or not, you had parents. They may have been good, they may have been bad, they may have been indifferent, but you were born into a relationship with, with others. You immediately, if you had siblings, you immediately had And so it's never about just about them. It's also about you. In fact, I would say, I tell people all the time, he's just, my husband's doing this and my husband's doing that. And I always tell them, sweet love. This happens many times in counseling. This isn't about you. He's running from God. And because he's running from God, it affects you. Because he doesn't have a relationship with the one who saved his soul, it affects you in a negative way. He doesn't mean to hurt you. He's not intended. He's doing the best he can with a broken relationship here that spills over into here. He can't help it. And until he gets that right, you're going to be affected. But the Bible tells you what to do, and that is to continue to love him. See, too many... What I've learned to do with relationships with others is we got to understand that we have a capacity issue. And so some people, what we do is we just take on all relationships that we can. And then if you take on too many relationships, then you burn out. If you take on too few relationships, then you become inbred. It's so funny to meet some of you that are inbred. Because you, you think just like the three people that you do life with. You don't have anybody else. Your children and your sister and her husband. And y'all go Friday nights. Y'all go to each other's houses. They play with the cousins. But you have, no other, you have no other flow coming to you. And so you take on all these same broken characteristics. And then there are those of you that have, everyone's your best friend. You're trying to be friends with everyone. You're following 6,000 people on social media just to hope that they'll like when you post something. And then when they post, and when they say something, you try to respond to it. So you're up all night long trying to cultivate these friendships and you don't understand why you're burning out in life. And you don't want to go to church because you might have to meet somebody new because you've taken on too much. We all have a capacity. Can I just talk to that capacity for a little bit? Do you know that Jesus had a capacity? He did. How many disciples did he train? Twelve. Why didn't he do 30? Why didn't he do 10,000? Can you imagine? When he comes down off the mountain, go read the passage. There are many folks sitting there, and he picks 12. Can you imagine being the one he didn't pick? I didn't want to be here anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? Can you imagine? He picked 12. Why? Because he had a capacity issue. Jesus ministered to anyone he came in contact with. But he didn't take responsibility but for 12. And so let me just help you how that plays out at your church, Hill City. Can I just give you some vision a little bit about how we operate? So years ago, after being in ministry and mega ministry for years and years and years and years and years and thousands and thousands of people every Sunday, watching everyone just hoping, if I could just touch the pastor just for a second, then I know all of my issues would just supernaturally go away because he's so anointed. 
and realizing that more people got mad because they couldn't touch the pastor because we had so many people. And this mentality that was broken, like, like we, Jesus is our Savior, not the preacher dude or the worship person or the, like, I don't understand. And then understanding as you read through Scripture what the New Testament church looked like and what they weren't, they weren't all trying to get to James. They weren't all trying to get to Peter or Paul. There was something they had that we didn't have. And so it was from that place that we birthed this church as a relational church. And so when we suck at relationships, our church sucks just so you know. So we built a relational church, not a, not a ministries or a program-based church. You see, a ministry or program-based church, they, all, they put you all in circles based on your need or your brokenness. So everyone with drug addiction, go over here in the drug addiction ministry. All of you that identify as a single mom who can't keep your husband, can't keep a man, go in the single mom ministry. This is what, this is what we've done over the years. Everyone, everyone who can sing, you get to be in the singing ministry. Everybody who, who can't sing and can't do anything else, we're going to put you into such and such ministry. And that's what we did. So, so now, we're, so now we're, we're cultivating relationships, not based, I don't know about you, I need people who can sing in my life. I need, I need some single moms in my life. I need, I need some old folk in my life. I need some people who don't look like me, who didn't grow up culturally like me. I need that. This is why we're broken. This is why, and we keep, what, what's the, what we see the United States doing like never before. What we're doing is we're tribalizing. We're just getting in our little tribal groups and our little circles, and I believe this, but I don't believe that, and I believe, can the church not be the church? Can we not have differencing in opinions politically, but love each other and be the church? Can we not be that? Is that not the kingdom of God? Is that not his plan? Sure it is. And so what we've done is we put ourselves in relationships based on capacity. And so here's what happens. You come new to our church, and the first thing we ask you is, have you connected with a small group? And then that immediately triggers, if, especially if you went to another church before coming to us, that triggers something in you. It either gives you a vision of something beautiful or a vision of something I never want to do again ever in the history of my life. And it all has to do with capacity. Most people misunderstand this. For example, people in this room who, are, who have no children because they're empty nest or they're single, they have a lot more capacity. They want to do small group life every day. Like, what are you doing today? Um, I, I, I got three kids, and I just, I'm, I'm just hoping to have time in the restroom by myself. You don't love me. I really do love you. But I don't have the same capacity you have because of this responsibility. And so what happens is, is that we have people who are like, I want to be connected with this group of people. I like them. Well, you're going to have to embrace the fact that they may not have the same capacity that you have capacity relationally and be okay with that. And say, so, you know what, baby girl, just text me once a month. Let me know you, that you're alive and that you love me. That's all I need from you. I don't need you to come, come eat with me every evening and bring me through a Bible study every Friday, Saturday, and after church on Sunday. I just need to be in relation because I was made for relationship. Are you tracking with me? And so, so what happens is I, the lead pastor, I pastor the pastors. That's my small group. I pastor them. They then pastor a group of people who then pastor and care for a group of people who then pastor and care for a group of people. In fact, let me give you, let me give you just kind of our, this would probably explain our little chart. Play that little, that, that little uh, animation piece for them. So there you go. This is what our small group life looks like. So you see the relationships directly connected to that person, and then they have relationships connected with other people. And, then, and that's a network of relationships. Let me give you an example. Just so I come up here, bring me a couple people with you. Who else come? come uh, get all, all you guys on the front row, all you front rowers, come up here right now. Come on, I picked you. Right now, I picked you. You got picked. Okay, let's go. Let me, let me illustrate. You got to move fast because the online people are getting bored. Okay, so, so this, is how, this is how we do relational life at Hill City. So I take on, let's say I take on Josiah, and I'm ministering to Josiah and Katrina, and then you guys, you get to, you don't need your husband right now. Y'all, y'all are in with me. It's an, it's a, it's an all girls, one guy group. No, 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 we got to, you got to put you out. You get, you get to go be with your husband. Never mind. I'm sorry. I'm throwing it all off. Okay. So, so this is my group. Okay. So the way we work is I have a capacity for this many relationships. So this is my small group. So I, I minister to them. I don't have capacity for anybody else. But what I don't do is let them be sucker branches and takers and not givers. Oh, you missed something right there. Because the Bible says every branch that does not produce fruit has to be cut off and thrown into the fire. I'm just, I'm just living what the Word says. So I invest my life into them. I'm ministering to them. 
Well, then what happens is I say, no, 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 I need you to do the same. And so I meet this amazing couple. They're phenomenal. And I can't, I don't have any capacity. So I want you to minister to them. Come on, stay with me. To minister to them while I'm ministering to you. And so you receive and you give. This is small groups for, for Hill City. This is what it looks like. And so at the same time, hey, he's got a best friend at work. And he doesn't really fit in the, gap, in the connection. That, so he's going to start meeting with him over lunch. And just start showing him the word of God a little bit. That and up for us is a small group as well. So he's connected in, who's connected in, who's connected in. Are you tracking with me? And so this is who we are. This is what he'll, so it confuses you if you come in like, where's the motorcycle small group? <laughs> I, I, I ride, I, have you seen my Harley? <laughs> and I can only do this for like, you know, 16 weeks and then I'm, I'm toast, baby. I got to go. That's not, how we, that's not how we do life here at Hill City. Because we're basing this on what we see in Scripture about them being connected. About them being together. Are you tracking with me? So here's what happens. Josiah gets mad at me. Guess what he does? He takes that whole down line. And leaves our church. So the risk, the risk in relationship is the same risk that you and I have every time we say, I do, I do. I will love her till death do us part. This is what the church is supposed to look like. So it's critical then that me and Josiah fight through the misunderstanding. So we force healthy relationship by the way that we've structured ourselves that looks like the New Testament, but it looks like what Jesus did. And so Jesus like, oh my goodness, how long do I have to put up with these 12 idiots? Dear God, dear God, dear God. <laughs> Whoo! But then he thinks... But at least I don't have Martha in this group. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Leon ain't fooling with her. Peter gonna have to deal with her. Thank you, Jesus. And so I want you to understand that because if you don't understand how we're, thank you guys. Give these guys a hand. Y'all are so sweet. Thank you for your, all of our own flying family. I hope you caught all that. That may be a little difficult for you. And so what we've done is we've put ourselves in where relationships work. And so I'm not asking you to be in a relationship with somebody you don't like. When I first started doing church life and I started, we started organizing, we would organize everybody geographically. If you live here, that's where you have to go to small group. And it was a Bible study. It was at someone's living, in someone's living room. And that person who led the Bible study was the greatest Christians on the planet. In our church, I'm not expecting Tom to be a professor of theology to help the dude that he goes to work with. The guy at work, he just... He, he done ran off on three different wives. Tom don't know a whole lot, but he knows more than that guy. And so I want you to picture climbing an ice mountain and we're all just belayed into each other. That's what the church is supposed to look like. And you know what? That person behind you three steps might actually be a little stronger than you. They, might, they may have actually went to seminary. They may have used to be a pastor or something. And they're in, if you will, your small group. And you're looking at them going, I don't know what they know. Every one of our pastors are smarter than me, which makes me smarter than them. Because I got them <laughs> to help me do what God wants done. I'm not intimidated by their strengths. I am grateful for their strengths. Listen, if you're an average quarterback, but you got a phenomenal running back, phenomenal wide receiver, you're going to win a Super Bowl. All I got to do is get you the ball. Go, baby. Go, girl. Get them. Yes! And then I get the ring. You know? So that's our structure. So I need you to understand that because how we do life with each other. So you start coming to this church and you just sit around like, I don't know anybody. This church sucks. When, when are they going to do the such and such ministries? When are they going to do the such and such? We not. Because we believe that ministry happens in relationship. Oh, you missed that. We, we don't believe that services make disciples. We don't believe that sermons make disciples. We don't believe that Sunday schools make disciples. Those are, it's all great information, good teaching. But at the end of the day, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ because disciples make disciples. So you might not be the best disciple. You say, Pastor, I, I want to help you guys. I want to I lead some of my friends. But I don't know a whole lot. You know more than they do. You know more than they do. We're just all, we're all tied in. And that way, when you start slipping... The people that you are doing life with in small group life that encourage and helping you, you can say, hey, well, let's help you a little bit. And then that then spills over into the ones that you're helping a little bit. And so that, that affords us capacity. We, can't, we don't do the same small group doesn't meet every week. 
Or barely even connect. Why? Because and every time we'll get somebody new in our church, and they were somebody successful at their last church, and they're like, oh, we just feel like we're supposed to come to your church. They'll come, and they'll get in like, we did small groups. We know what we're doing. And we have to fight with them for six months, eight months. Because what they'll do is they'll gather everybody. And next thing you know, they got 30 people in their living room. And they're, man, they're cooking for them, and they're preaching to them, and they're playing videos of Stephen Furtick and whoever else. This is the stuff, man. They're laying hands on each other, that kind of stuff. And it's just, they, but then they recognize the longevity of this will not work. Because what happens when 30 of them all have a problem the same week? Oh, all of y'all have problems. I can't handle none of y'all. I don't even care. I'm having problems myself. And so this is why we don't put ourselves in those type of environments. We put ourselves in the capacity that you can love a group of people and you can be loved by a group of people. That's why we call them small groups. 90% of churches in America are under 200 people. Do you know why? Because those 200 people don't want a large church. Do you know why they don't want a large church? Because they of their birthday parties. So they wear out this family. They want their personal pastor. Instead of saying, hey, can we be in relationship with each other and encourage each other? Why do they want that? Because we're so broken relationally that we feel like we need someone to carry us up the mountain. Instead of saying, no, let the Spirit of God lives inside of me. I follow the one true God, Jesus Christ. He carries me up the mountain. I'm in relationship with these people. They encourage me and strengthen me a little bit, but they're not my Savior. They're not the one. Listen, I love y'all with all of my heart, but my Christianity is not dependent upon if you like me, if you like our church, if you don't like. I love you. I love you. But God, and God's given me grace and mercy for you. And man, I love every bit of you. But I, listen, I don't get offended one bit when someone says, you, you, I love you. I've been coming to this church. And you know what? You have never, you've never come and seen me. Are you in a small group? Well, well, I don't, you know, I know. Well, we're all tied in relationally. Can I, can I just tell you something? Faster than the internet, faster than social media is, the, is people talking to each other. I know what you're going through without you even know I know what you're going through. Because they, they, tell, they tell their leader who tells me, and I now know, and I'm praying for you. Most of the time, you don't even know I'm praying for you, what you're going through. And you're like, well, how does he know? Because I have a network of relationships that are caring for us as a church. Again, our best pa- all of our pastors, all of our network pastors are bivocational. Because after many, many years of full-time ministry, I watched these guys get on staff at a church burn themselves out trying to be Superman for everybody. Then, maybe falling into some kind of sin or having some type of issue, and now they don't have an income source because the church had to let them go. And they can't provide for their family. So do you know why you see all this scandal? With, why preachers are all full of the devil? They're not full of the devil. They start with purity of heart, but their capacity gets blown out because they take on the S on their chest, try to be Superman, and try to care for everyone, not forcing the church to be healthy in relationships, and they try to be the solve-all and the answer to everything. <laughs> Y'all ain't doing that to me. I'm too smart for I'm going to still be here 30 years from now loving Jesus. <laughs> I ain't doing it. Y'all, no one going to burn me out. I love Jesus. I love my wife. She's so fine. She's so sexy. I love my kids. I love you. But I'm telling you, as we get into relationship with each other and we find these pastors, I can't believe he fell into sexual sin. Yeah, he was burnt out. He was burnt out three years ago. He's burnt out because he's trying to solve everybody's problem, be it everybody's funeral, be it everybody's childbirthing, be it everybody's wedding, trying to do everything, trying to, trying to counsel everybody. And, you know, got a couple pastors he tried to get helping him, but they still asking him for all this stuff. And, and he and she just, they, they lose their marriage through the whole process and don't even know it. We've got to get good at relationships. Are you with me? Say yes. So the first relationship we got to get better at is with others. Here's a second relationship. You probably never heard any preaching on this. I got to move fast. I haven't been listening fast enough. Let's go. Here's the second relationship that we were made for, and that is the relationship with yourself. It may sound self-centered, but with all relationships, there must be a balance. And so here's my question to you. Do you have a healthy relationship with yourself? Do you think of yourself as valuable? Do you, ex- do, do you accept yourself? Do you forgive yourself? Do you like you? I saw a guy 
some time back that grew up with me. And uh, he's, uh, he's taken on that mega church role. He's got this look about him and this thing about him. We were at a, we were at a, a big pastor's meeting, and uh, we were all talking. And, uh, and he looks over at me and goes, you hadn't changed a bit. And I th- it was real derogatory how he said it, almost like I hadn't grown up. And I said, why would I need to change? I like me. And he goes, because you could tell he's trying to be somebody he's not to validate what he doesn't feel comfortable about himself. I like me. I'm weird. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to tell you right now. I don't, I am so multicultural in my thinking that I don't even know sometimes when I step over a line. So I have to have some of my black brothers and sisters tell me, hey, Pastor Adam, you shouldn't have said that. That was not, that wasn't. <laughs> the other day when I was preaching, I, I used a little line from Larry the Cable Guy <laughs> where he says, you know, I'm so sorry, Lord, please forgive me. And I pray for the pygmies. One of our best leaders had to contact me and say, hey, that sounded racist to me. To which I sent a message back, I am so sorry. Thank you. She loves me enough to tell me that. And I love her enough to say, I, I don't want to be that. Because I want to be in a multiracial church, a multi-generational church, where we're doing life together. And we're figuring out our cultural differences to celebrate them, not to use it as a, as a battering uh, po- a pole against each other. That's, that's the beauty of loving and being good in relationships. But if you don't, if you don't, if you're toxic with yourself, guess how that's going to affect every other relationship? You're, gonna, you're not going to have a good relationship with the Lord because when the Lord says, I have appointed you and anointed you, you can say, no, you haven't. I have called you to change the world. No, you haven't. I'm not good enough. And so until that gets healthy, it's going to affect your relationship with others. It's going to affect your relationship with God. I had a young man years and years and years ago in one of our ministries, and he had such a deep brokenness inside of him that no one could befriend him. Can you believe that? Being in the church, full of Jesus, and no one could have a relationship with him. He was so toxic. And it all came down to his brokenness in himself. He saw himself as such a victim that no one could befriend him and have a relationship with him. He ultimately would push everyone away. Moving himself towards loneliness because he was broken within himself. It wasn't because everyone else around him was bad. It wasn't because God was bad. It was because he had such toxicity towards himself that he couldn't embrace love from others or love from, from the Father. I wonder how many of us are still needing to get healthy in our relationship with ourselves. That's why we teach you around here to have a Sabbath. The Bible is very clear that we should Sabbath. There should be a time within the week, three hours, ten hours, a full day, you know, you can, get, you can go all messianic with it. And, you know, it's only Saturday. But where you stop everything and you just engage with God. Because when you Sabbath, it causes you to reflect about you. And then it causes you have the, the because you've quieted the TV and everything else, it causes you to be quiet enough to hear his true voice speaking to you about you, to heal you. That's what Sabbath is. And because we haven't honored the Sabbath and kept it holy, we become toxic within ourselves. And that brings me to the third and final relationship that I want to cover that we were made for, and that's a relationship with God. You are wired to have a direct connection with God. When our relationship with him is off, it affects all other relationships. And this is why Adam and Eve went and hid, because their relationship was off with God. Some of you are hiding from God because your relationship is off with him. You're still bitter that he didn't keep your grandmother from dying of cancer, and you hadn't dealt with that with him. There's an elephant in the room. You're still mad that you felt like you obeyed him and you felt like she was the one and you married her, but life has been hell on earth with her, so it must be God's fault somehow. And you've got this thing between you and him and it's broken. And because of that, everything else becomes toxic and boring and frustrating and so forth and so on. And so that, this relationship with him has to be restored. It has to be refreshed. I'm constantly restoring and refreshing my relationship with the Lord because I get mad at him. Because I have expectations, and when those expectations don't get met, unmet expectations is one of the most critical reasons for brokenness in relationship, by the way. You expect me to do this for you, and I don't do it. I misappropriate your expectation, whether I knew you expected it or not. 
And because I didn't know that or because maybe I didn't handle that expectation properly, but you had an expectation, now you're mad at me. And so what happens is we get mad at God. We know we're too religious to admit that, and we know that we're not supposed to have that attitude, but that's what's going on inside of us. And until we sit down with him and get that right and repent and say, Lord, I've been mad at you, and I just, ah, I just can't stand that this didn't happen the way I thought you told me it was going to happen. And I need you to speak to me and engage with me and show me. And that's why I read the Holy Scriptures, so I can get the Word of God and I can have understanding of who he is and where I'm missing him. And so I love what Rick Warren said about us in our relationship with God. Rick Warren said it like this, you are not an accident. Your birth was no mistake or mishap, and your life is no fluke of nature. Long before you were conceived by your parents, you were conceived in the mind of God. He thought of you first. He custom-made your body just the way he wanted it. He also determined the natural talents you would possess and the uniqueness of your personality. Most amazing, God decided how you would be born. Regardless of the circumstances of your birth or who your parents were or who your parents are, God had a plan in creating you. It doesn't matter whether your parents were good, bad, or indifferent. God knew that those two individuals possessed exactly the right genetic makeup to create the custom you that he had in mind. He had the DNA, they, excuse me, they had the DNA God wanted to make you of. God never does anything accidental, and he never makes mistakes. He has a reason for everything he creates. God was thinking of you even before he made the world. This is how much God loves and values you. And you say, Pastor, I just don't believe all of what you just read out. Then that's the place to start. Say, Lord, I don't believe I'm valuable. I don't believe that I'm special to you. I don't believe that I'm unique. In fact, I'm so hard on myself with my brokenness that I can't see the beauty by which I possess from you. I want to close out our time together today. But I want to remind you, you were made for relationships. You have the ability and the capacity to choose. You don't have to be a victim. You can make choices in the right direction. You and I were made to take responsibility for ourselves. We were made to have a relationship with others. We were made to have a relationship with ourselves. And we were made to have a relationship with God. Would you stand with me quickly across here? Isn't that a great message? I know that as we speak, your life is being changed by the word of the Lord. So here's what I want you to do. Take some time to think about it, consider it, pray and ask the Lord how you can apply it to your life today and this week. And maybe there's something that he's asking you to change or do differently in your life. So let's not let this be something that we just watch and then walk away like nothing happened. We're so grateful to be able to hear the word of the Lord. You weren't here in person today, but you're here with us online and that matters. And if you made a decision for Christ today, we want to know. We want to know how to come alongside you and how to support you and how we can best pray for you. So please, if you did make that decision for Christ today, text the word DECIDED to 469-606-2684. We can't wait to see you back next week, same time, same place. Share these posts with your friends. Share it on your social media. Blast it out there. Don't be greedy and keep it to yourself. We love you and we'll see you soon. God bless.